Oh, we'll see if you clap again after I'm done. <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting because I was, this morning when I was going through my notes, I, was, I looked back in my calendar and it was March 12th when I was at the Evangelical Free Church of Canada leadership retreat uh, in Washington. And, um, and we were in a meeting. I was actually leading the meeting. And, uh, and you know how engaging I must have been because someone was looking on their phone. And they all of a sudden stood up in the middle of me- me- the meeting and said, the NBA has just canceled their season. And the NHL has just canceled their season. We better get back to Canada before they close the border. And so we, uh, we shut down the meeting, and we packed up our stuff and got in our cars and, and went back into British Columbia. And uh, by the time I got home, um, it was required, because I'd been in the United States, that I spent 14 days in, in isolation. And that was 27 Sundays ago. And uh, I remember telling us, some of you will have heard me say, um, how nervous I was trying to preach into a camera with no people. It seemed so weird. And uh, every time I'd, I'd do a take, it would uh, have all these errors in it, and I'd go back and re-edit it and re- reshoot it. And, and, uh, but it's been so long since I preached from here that I feel a bit nervous this morning. So I know what, what many of you, most of you feel like when, when we get you up here um, a little bit more than normal. Before I get into God's Word, I want to uh, just mention, uh, you probably saw the announcement, but uh, the Gideons have put out another really good resource for us, and they're in the foyer for you to pick up for free. It's a Spark magazine, and uh, the first half of it is, is really graphic and, and engaging and, and interesting, and it just goes through uh, it, 10 truths about my story, stuff like God's gift is waiting for me. I can tell God anything. I don't need to be afraid. Go through that in the first half. And then the second half is the Gospel of John. And it's done in a magazine format rather than like a leather-bound Bible kind of format. And these are, are just perfect for, for someone who you just want to encourage them to get into God's Word. So, you know, when you pack up a birthday present, just slip it in the bag. Or, or when you're sitting in a waiting room, just... Leave it behind by accident on the magazine rack or, or when you're sending packages for Christmas or maybe even a shoebox. Just stick it in there. It, it's, not, it's not offensive. It doesn't, it's not in-your-face kind of stuff. It's just, uh, just lots of pictures and, and interesting things to look at and, and read through and um, suitable for, for various different ages. But the main thing is it's got the Gospel of John in there. And if it can get someone reading God's Word... Um, as I said last Sunday, um, God's word all by itself can save people. Well, God's Holy Spirit can save people, uh, but, but God's word by itself uh, is enough. And so it's just a creative way to get God's word into the hands of people who might otherwise never pick it up. So uh, those are in the foyer. I hope you take them all and, uh, and make good use of it. You might even read it yourself. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a good thing that way. Um, You know, this. Uh, I, w- I was going to mention the, uh, the gift uh, teaching as well that's coming up. Um, because I was, I was in my garage, and uh, the old motorcycle I'm trying to fix up is missing some body pieces. So I was uh, trying to figure out how to do fiberglass to build body pieces. And uh, 
And so as I was trying to figure out the ratio of resin and hardener and get it mixed up right so it would harden properly, uh, it came into my mind my high school math teacher. And I can tell you with absolute certainty, I did not like that man. <laughs> so it wasn't a good memory. But the reason it came into my mind is because I was using what he taught me uh, all these years later, uh, figuring out the ratios of the chemicals to make the fiberglass. And, uh, and I realized that if my parents hadn't forced me to go to school and if that horrible teacher hadn't taught me something, uh, I'd be struggling more than I was uh, with, with all of that. And so, um, you know, our adult education uh, program in this church is the gift, the Growing in Faith Together teaching times. It's going to be a little bit different this time. Uh, but, you know, as I go through these biblical books, I'm, I'm focused on the devotional aspect uh, the, the, what this book has to offer in terms of your personal relationship with God. But it, in the prophetic books, and really all the books of the Bible, there's so much more than that. That's a very narrow focus. And so uh, in these teachings, Michael's going to bring us some of the historical context and some of the, the overall you know, wider biblical teachings that the, the prophetic books bring to us. And yeah, it's a little bit of hard work to engage in that kind of uh, stuff. But, but if we learn it, the day will come like I did with my math teacher when I think, oh, I'm so glad I, I'm so glad I learned that. Uh, so so let's, let's engage, even though it's weird times we live in, and, and let's, um, let's dig in together into God's word as we are going to right now. Um, we're almost through the Old Testament. I know many of you are, are eagerly awaiting the New Testament, uh, but, but, you know, I, I couldn't... I couldn't begin to tell you how many places of the New Testament just open up in meaning when you've read the Old Testament context beforehand. And uh, it's just so much of a richer, a richer experience uh, in the New Testament when we have an understanding of what came before. So we're going to look at Habakkuk this morning. Uh, before we, we do that, let's just pause for prayer once again. Our Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning, um, give us eyes to see and ears to hear so that we would not be the blind leading the blind, but that we would be uh, your people following you. Uh, you are a lamp. Your word is a lamp, and we seek to open it together this morning and uh, learn just a little bit more, a little bit better how to live uh, in this world in your presence. We pray in Jesus' name. Now, if you were just uh, going to dabble in Habakkuk, I suggest uh, Habakkuk 2, the, begin the last part of the first chapter, or the second chapter, and the last part of the third chapter. There is only three, so if you start at the beginning, you'll probably get through pretty quick. But, but uh, those are kind of the key passages, and I'm going to look at those actually in this message a little bit in a few minutes. But before I do that, I want you to try to imagine uh, a situation. Um, imagine you're this woman. Now, I picked a short-haired woman with a suit on because some of you are men and some of you are women, so maybe you can all imagine. Uh, but does anyone feel frustrated? Well, imagine um, this is... 
this is, in my imagination, an ordinary woman. I don't mean, I don't mean ordinary in the, in the common sense, maybe of how she looks or something like that, but she's, she's ordinary in the sense that she's, she's just trying to do the things that ordinary people do. She's trying to raise her family. She's trying to love her grandkids. She's trying to uh, negotiate work and a little bit of uh, off time and leisure. She's trying to get ahead a little bit. Um, she's, she's uh, you know, in my with this with this woman in my imagination, she's tried to start. A, her and her husband have started a business or two. Uh, some sometimes it's gone well, and sometimes it hasn't. And uh, and she's looking out at the world, and she's just in a state of mind where she sees things in a particular way. And she she looks out and she sees that there are many proud people who think they're awesome. And the, the frustrating thing is, it seems like everyone around her thinks those proud people are awesome too. They get all the eyeballs, they get all the likes, they get, they get all the attention. People hang on their every word. And yet when she really looks at them, she realizes that they're crooked. To be kind, they're crooked. Their personal lives are messed up. Their morality is nothing to look up to. And the way they go about the business side of things is, is just not a good example. They're crooked, and yet they've got all the eyeballs. They have the microphone. And it frustrates her. Then she sees another, another class of people. Uh, these ones are not in the spotlight. Uh, they're not the movie stars or the uh, sports heroes. But they're wealthy people who own, bit or own or control big businesses. And it seems to her, as she tries to get her business going, that these other people behind the scenes just swallow up all the opportunity. Someone has a really good idea, puts out a product, and before you know it's bought up or, or someone comes out with something uh, cheaper and not as well made but that gets all the customers. And, uh, and it's, just gets, it's really hard to get ahead when, when these uh, seemingly powerful people... Uh, eat up the opportunities that are, that are around. She feels like these massive players control everything, but they don't have to play by the rules. If the rules change and business gets hard, they just move to a different country. Or they have high-priced lawyers that just allow them to get away with it. Whereas uh, she has to follow the laws and the conditions by the minutia in order to not get into trouble. She looks at the unimaginably big houses and the yachts and the bodyguards and the fenced-in communities, and she wonders, how could they have ever got there, honestly? I mean, after a lifetime of working hard and honestly, she's not anywhere near that kind of position. It seems like Everything in the world around her is tilted towards injustice. Those who don't deserve it seem to get more, and the honest, ordinary people seem to get less. And she starts to pull her hair out. And on top of all of that, the nations are rattling their swords. And it's hard to feel like like anything is stable because it seems like the world could just fall into disarray at any moment. I don't know, maybe, maybe that's way outside your experience, but maybe some of those kinds of frustrations have, have caused you to either get gray, you can't tell me because I cut it off, but pull your hair out, frustration.
Can you imagine some of those kinds of thoughts? Have you thought them? Well, you might think I'm describing a contemporary woman, but really I'm just summarizing Habakkuk's complaints to God. Putting them kind of into a modern context, but it's exactly the same issues that he was complaining to God about in the book of Habakkuk. I, I think this is, the, this is the book of all the books so far that I was the most tempted to just stand here and read the book instead of preach a message. Because, uh, because it, it seems like he's speaking to us exactly. It's not like many of the other prophetic books where there's oracles and declarations and stuff like that. It's, it's simply a conversation between Habakkuk and his God. It's a, re- it's a record of his prayers and God's answers. And I think the most important part of prayer is the listening part when God answers. So it's just the prayers. And, uh, and Habakkuk is, is asking God a question in this book. And, and as I read Habakkuk's question and God's answer, it makes me think, um, sometimes you should be careful what you ask. You might not like the answer you get. For example... She says, I see you're wearing your toupee again, Earl. He says, yep. What's the point of wearing it occasionally? You're not fooling anyone. Why do you only occasionally wear control-top pantyhose? Perhaps I've said too much. You've got to be careful what you ask. You might not like the answer. Well, Habakkuk asks a question. The whole book revolves around this question uh, that comes to us in the second verse, right at the beginning. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. It's an accusation, isn't it? It's a question. Now that word violence, I think, um, could encompass a lot of different things. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere. Injustice is everywhere. Dishonesty is everywhere. Immorality is everywhere. Basically, what he's saying is, the world is falling apart around me. Where are you, God? Why aren't you doing something about this? And I don't know if you've asked a question like that in the year 2020. Um, I have. Many times. What are you doing, God? I don't like what's happening. I'm frustrated. Well, God answers, and I've summarized the answer in one sentence. In Habakkuk, God says, It may look like chaos to you, but I've got this. I need to unpack that. I need to, uh, Habakkuk, actually, the book of Habakkuk does unpack that for us and and gives us uh, some ideas here. But Habakkuk, so, so okay, we're going to go through Habakkuk really quickly, just uh, in, in the sections that, that Habakkuk does. And um, the first section there is the complaint, verses uh, 2 to 4 of chapter 1. Uh, Habakkuk kind of unpacks this verse 2 a little bit in terms of the, the content of his complaint. And... Um, the second section in chapter 1, verse 5 to 11, is God's first answer. And God answers like this. His answer is very straightforward. Don't worry, Habakkuk. 
I am doing a, something about the violence that you're complaining about and the injustice that you're complaining about. The Babylonians all have their army gathered together. They're already on the march towards you. They're going to come and wipe out all the violence you're complaining about. Well, guess what Habakkuk does in, in, uh, in his second complaint? He says, uh, wait a minute, God. The evil around me, ah, it's really not that bad. You know, I prefer it over the Babylonians. Don't bring them. That doesn't seem right. Uh, so he changes his tune quite dramatically when he sees what God's about to do. And we can uh, read a portion of it here like this. O Lord my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. That's not what I was asking for. I wanted you to save us. But Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our sins. Oh yeah, I guess we have done some wrong. We deserve some punishment, but maybe not that. But you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Oh, I know we're bad, God, but, but it's not nearly like the Babylonians. How can that be just? How can that be right? How can that be your answer? So Habakkuk's complaint deepens. Now, Habakkuk is more eloquent in his words than I am, and that's why I'm so glad that I can read things like this in God's Word, because it gives me words to put into my prayers. It, it gives me words to express my frustrations. I know, God, I was, you know, hoping for revival in Canada, but I, I didn't want a virus. And so I can, I can sympathize with Habakkuk. And I'm, I'm also encouraged by the fact that Habakkuk complains, then he doesn't like God's answer, so he complains about God's answer. And God just, as, as Brian pointed out to us, he, he just conti continues walking with Habakkuk. He doesn't turn his back, he doesn't run away, he just continues in the conversation. That's what God expects in a relationship. That's how they work. And so uh, as, as we seek to be people who know God, we we can look to Habakkuk and realize that we can have the courage to say what we really think, to ask the questions we really want to ask. We might have to wait for the answer. I don't know how long between these portions of Habakkuk. He might have been reading the, writing this when he was an old man, long after the events, uh, looking back and understanding what happened from that point of view. Uh, but this is his second complaint. And then, and then the real... The real meat of the matter comes to us in God's reply, God's second reply to Habakkuk's second complaint in chapter 2. I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to really get into the details there. I'll leave that for you to read later on. But I'm going to summarize how I understand what God says. Basically what God says in chapter 2 is there's many different nations. And there's many different ways in which nations turn away from God and become evil. There's many different ways in which nations displease me, God says. And then he, he kind of uh, brings out the fact that when that happens, when nations turn from me, when nations go beyond what I allow in this world, it leads to their destruction. Each nation has a different path, a different way of getting there, but that's where it ends. And then 
God's reply finishes with perhaps the only verse in Habakkuk that you may have may recognize or maybe have seen before, and it's this one. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Have you heard that one before? See, I looked up Habakkuk 2, verse 20, in Google Images, and I got tons and tons of images. Everyone loves this verse. They all got it wrong, though. I couldn't find one that got it right. This doesn't, this doesn't mean what it means. You have to do it like this. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. So that's what God's saying. He's saying, the nations rage. The nations do their things. The nations rise. They, they create justice in the system and they become strong and then they become corrupt and they fall. All these different scenarios, each nation different, and it all leads to their destruction. And as all of this is happening across all the world and all of history, he says, but... In contrast to that, what the nations are doing, there's something else happening. What is that? The Lord is in the place where heaven and earth intersect, the temple. He hasn't just wound up the world and turned his back and let it run. He's watching. He's present. He's here. So you can just be silent, as, as, I, as I put it may look like chaos to you, but I've got this. I'm here. I'm watching. I'm in my temple. I'm engaged in the process. And he says to Habakkuk, be silent before me. Listen to me. Allow me to do what I know how to do and you don't know how to do. Be silent. Without the but... If you start the sentence with the, which Habakkuk doesn't start the sentence with, it means something a little bit different. And that's important. Despite everything that's happening in the world, in contrast to that, God is there. God is watching. God is taking it in. God is keeping accounts. Now that is... uh, expanded then, that idea is expanded then in Habakkuk's final reply. Let me catch my... Habakkuk in chapter 3 prays again. And this is a huge contrast from chapter 1 where he's complaining. He's had this conversation with God and he's gained this perspective and now he prays a different way. In Habakkuk chapter 3, Habakkuk describes many different things. He describes things in nature, in the natural world, that have nothing to do with human intervention. He describes nations coming and going. He describes all of these different things and he describes it in this way. He says, all of these things that are happening on the earth are being orchestrated by God to bring about salvation. In other words, he's saying, now I get it. I look at history from the point of view of what's what's my part, how can I influence it, when I should be looking at it from a different point of view. It's like this. While God marches across the world, and how does God march across the world? Well, he marches with weather, and he marches with War and he marches with the rise and fall of nation and he and he brings salvation and he brings destruction. 
And he does all of these things according to his wisdom and his eternal knowledge. Things that are far too wonderful for me to understand. And in doing that, he is in his temple. And the earth is before him. And we're not in a position, I'm not in a position to tell God how to do it. Let all the earth, including my heart, be silent before him. Habakkuk makes it very, very practical. So we'll conclude or close with with his final words. The end of the book, this is what Habakkuk says. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though, though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty. In other words, what Habakkuk is describing is the worst possible situation he can imagine. He's a farmer. And he lives in an agricultural community. What's the worst thing that can happen? This. There's no blossoms. There's no grapes. There's no olives. The fields are empty. The sheep are dead. And the cows are gone. In Habakkuk's imagination, that's as bad as it can possibly get. And he says, even though the worst possible situation... I don't know how you would imagine the worst possible situation. As bad as you think 2020 is, I doubt if this is the worst you could imagine. Not yet. Maybe it'll get there. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But he's, he's putting, Habakkuk's putting forward here the worst he, it can get for him as a farmer. It's as bad as it gets. Remember his beginning? How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. But there's still grain in the barn. There's still grapes on the vine. Maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought. And now his next verse. Okay, imagine the worst possible situation. And then this. Yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the Lord or in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as the deer, able to tread upon the heights. In other words, it may look like chaos to me, but I trust God. He's got it. He knows what he's doing. Let's just uh, examine this amazing expression of faith. Joyful in the God of my salvation. Even though things get even worse than they are, as bad as I can imagine, I will still rejoice in the God of my salvation. At the beginning, he was complaining that God wasn't bringing salvation, and now he's realizing that God has a lot, a lot of complicated things in the whole world to to balance out, to bring salvation, and he's doing it. Might not look from my perspective like it's happening right now, but God's doing it. I trust him. It's an expression of faith. 
is an expression that says, though I don't see it in its fullness right now, I believe that God is doing it. I'm going to rejoice. I'll be joyful because God is bringing about salvation. And the second uh, phrase there is dependent. They're, they're dependent on each other. The sovereign Lord is my strength. I'm not looking to the politicians and the movie stars and, and the experts for my wisdom anymore. I'm, I'm looking to God. Now, all of those other people have wisdom in, in terms of, of, of things that have value on earth. But that's not a high enough goal. They don't know the balance of the nations. They don't know uh, what natural effects and weather and wars and things must happen in order for the conditions to be brought about whereby God's salvation becomes clear. No. Sovereign Lord. You see, at the beginning, he didn't say the word, but what Habakkuk was saying is, incompetent Lord. That's what he said at the start, right? God's incompetent to save. Because look, my life's not better than I think it should be. He's changed his tune. God is sovereign. He knows all. He's all-powerful. He knows what he's doing. I trust him. Therefore, I rejoice. And then being an agricultural guy, he goes... He makes me as sure-footed as the deer. You know, there's a reason why we tend to picture the meadow, the green meadow with the deer, as the most, most tranquil, peaceful kind of thing we can imagine. Deer are incredibly skittish creatures. If anything's wrong, they're not standing in the meadow. So Habakkuk is saying, the Babylonians... The Babylonians are marching towards us. There's injustice all over in my land. I can't get ahead. I can barely make a living. But I feel like a deer in a meadow. Well, he says on the Rocky Heights, and I think he's thinking about a different kind of deer, probably a goat or something. But uh, translation might lose it. But, but we get the picture. He's going back to that tranquil nature, that, that, that place. And, and he's, he's just expressing in that way uh, this sentiment. It may look confusing to me, but I trust that God has this in hand. And I think he's saying here at the end of the book of Habakkuk exactly the same thing that Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 25, that is why I tell you, do not, not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more, far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make clothes, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wild flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And just contemplate that for a moment. Think about the robin. The robins have all gone south. Whatever happens between now and then, in the spring they're going to fly north. 
And when they, when they come to your lawn in your backyard, they'll look for food, they'll sing, they'll build a nest, and they'll lay eggs. And you know what? Whether it is a beautiful, warm spring with soft ground they can easily pull worms out of, or whether it's a dry, parched, cold, windy spring, guess what the robin will do? He'll sing to his lover. He'll build a nest. She'll lay eggs. She'll sit on them. And she'll feed them. If the magpie comes and steals her eggs, what does the robin do? Builds another nest, lays some more eggs, sings a song, sits on the eggs, incubates them, and feeds the hatchlings. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world around her. She does what God has given her to do. And think of the lilies. If it's a, if it's a, beautiful, uh, a beautiful warm spring with, with fresh rains and moist ground, the, the lily has no trouble pushing its shoot out through the ground in the spring. And it grows three or four feet tall and has ten beautiful flowers. If it's a dry, parched, hard-packed ground kind of spring, it's a lot more effort. But you know what the lily does? It still pushes its shoot up through the ground. Maybe it only grows four inches and has two flowers that year. But it just keeps on doing what God has given it to do. Maybe our church has less flowers this year than last year. Maybe. It doesn't change what we're supposed to do. Maybe the political situation goes crazy and we all disagree on how we should respond to coronavirus. It doesn't matter. That's just the weather. We still do what God's children have been called to do. We raise our families. We love our neighbors. We seek God's word. We live in mercy and grace. And we become Jesus Christ's expression on this earth. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happens in politics. It doesn't matter what happens in Hollywood. It doesn't matter what happens in the hospital. It doesn't matter if it gets worse. It doesn't matter if it gets better. We do what the robin does. We do what the lily does. We do the things that God has given us to do. They don't change. We pray for one another. We disciple one another. We open the word. We love. We forgive. Maybe we do it with a mask on. Next year we maybe don't. But we just do it. We just find a way. The, the, the lily finds a way to get up through the parched ground and make at least one flower. Incredibly determined to do what God gave it to do. Why should we be any different You see, the deer may be here or here. What does it do? Finds a soft spot, has a fawn, hides it in the underbrush, goes looking for food and water, comes back, protects it from the coyotes. doesn't matter if it's a dry year or a wet year. It does what God gave it to do. And that's what Habakkuk is saying here when he says... Imagine the worst possible situation. 
There's no crop. There's no income. Everything has gone bad. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord and be joyful in the God of my salvation. I'll keep on doing what he's given me to do. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him.